0: I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award winning podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at ziviowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode has been sponsored by Tink. Lauren Passel and her innovative PR company Tink are book obsessed and podcast obsessed. Tink specializes in getting authors on podcast tours. Forbes called it the, quote, the first podcast PR company for authors. This is like the coolest idea I have to say. Podcasting is a new wild world, and pitching to podcasters like me, I guess, is an art. So Tink specializes in setting authors up for success. To learn more, you can visit tinkmedia.com or subscribe to Lauren's podcast newsletter at podcast thenewsletter.com. So definitely check out Lauren. She's amazing. And for any authors out there, you should definitely check her out for getting your book onto fantastic podcasts like this one and so many other book podcasts out there and all types of podcasts. I'm here today with Jenny Lee, who's the author of YA novel, Anna Kay, A Love Story, a modern day adaptation of Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. She is a TV writer and producer who has worked on BET's Boomerang, IFC's Brookmeyer, Freeform's Young and Hungry, and the Disney Channel's number one rated kids show, Shake It Up. HBO Max acquired the rights for Anna Kay, which Jenny Lee will adapt for the screen and write. Jenny has written four humorous essay collections, including I Do, I Did, Now What, Life After the Wedding Dress from 2004, which I read right before I got married the first time, and a middle grade novel series, Elvis and the Underdogs. Originally from Tennessee, Jenny lived in New York City in her 20s and currently lives in Los Angeles with her husband. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Jenny is being very kind because she came a few minutes early and I had just gotten back from a run, which I do like, what, once a month, once every two months. <laughs> My face is like purple at this point and I am still could not get cool enough to Shower. So anyway, Jenny's being very, very kind, so let's
3: just say that. (laughs) Anyway, please tell listeners what Anna Kay, A Love Story, is about. Anna Kay is a novel that is a reimagining of uh, one of my favorite books, which is Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. So I took the same sort of plot structure, but I moved it to modern day, using New York City and Greenwich, Connecticut, instead of Moscow and St. Petersburg. It's awesome. It's like a YA gossip girl meets... Something.
0: Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians. (laughs) Crazy Rich Asians. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That's, yeah. So you have your whole line already (laughs) set up. You didn't need me. You had this great letter at the end of the book, which explains when you thought of this idea— how it became, why you did it now. Can you can you sort of summarize that?
3: Sure. In 2012, I was in New York City for Christmas with my mom, and the Joe Wright version adaptation of Anna Karenina came out with Kira Knightley as the star. And we went to see it at the Ziegfeld. It's so sad, it's closing. We went to see it, and we had this, like, magical time. And my mom had both had read the book in Korean and in English, and I had read the book twice by then. And we were talking about it. And we had this great discussion about it, and, like, you know, how tragic it was for the ending of Anna, and then I just kept thinking, like, what it would be like in modern day, and then later that night, I couldn't sleep, and I snuck down to the lobby of the hotel, and I just was like, oh, my God, Anna Karenina is a book about first time, major time that you're in love, and I was like, oh, if you wanted to translate that to modern day, it needed to be teenagers now, because obviously— In the late 1800s in Russian society, they were all in their 20s and 30s. But now, it's like the first time you usually fall in love is when you're a teenager. Did you fall in love for the first time as a teenager? Probably. I mean, whether it's now, as I'm definitely not a teenager, I've seen, you're like, oh, that was like that young, first, crazy teenage love. But I definitely have had that experience a couple times, like in my now, second husband, when we fell in love recently, like five years ago, I was like, oh, this is like that teenage version of love where you're like super obsessed and you're smelling his shirts. Oh, <laughs> that's that. so cute. And it reminded me of that. So it was really like, that was definitely part of the inspiration of writing this book.
0: And you had this line at the end that made me cry that was like, you can't write a true love story until you're really in love. So that's why you waited so long to write it. Yeah, Even though you thought of it a long time yeah, ago.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I channel, I definitely was channeling that because I was like, oh, this is the right time to do this. Cause it was like, so there's so much of my husband and our love story in this like tiny little details and shout outs of things that happened between us that I kind of like added as a little, like a gift that I gave him is in there, et cetera. Trying
0: to remember which gift that would be. This is um,
3: <laughs> where Anna's brother keeps his drugs, that like orange, like yeah, a, there yeah, was yeah. an orange and some an Anya Hindemark thing that yes. I had had engraved for him for an anniversary. And so I put that in there.
0: That store also yes. just went out of business. Yeah. So. And, oh, did In New York. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So you have written for a long time. Yes. Your first book.
3: To, well, start, start talking about. Your whole writing career. My first book was in two thousand one, and it was a collection of essays, a humor essays basically, called "I Do, I Did, Now What." So I wrote three collections of humor essays, is in you know in my early thirties, and that none of those books they all sold so so, but none of them kind of broke out and became like a big success. And I was really using my personal life, whatever I was obsessed with at the time, and then I would tend to write a book about it. But I hadn't written fiction yet because, like, writing a novel, my first novel was, like, always, like, the big goal in my, you know, ever since I was, like, a kid, I was like, oh, my God, I want to write a book, a novel, the great American novel, et cetera. And then I just was, like, kept waiting because I was like, I need more life experience. I need more time. And then my first novel actually was a kid's book called Elvis and the Underdogs that I wrote, oh, maybe six years ago when I was working on Shake It Up, a Disney Channel show. And that book started... As a TV show, that it was a pitch for a TV show about a talking dog. Because it was like right when they were developing Dog with a Blog, that show. They were like, oh, we're looking for outside pitches. And then I came up with the idea and I pitched it. And they were like, oh, we don't really talk about these underdog kids. It's Disney Channel. We want good-looking, aspirational kids. And I was like, really? Because there are many more of these underdog kids because it's about a kid with a talking therapy dog who was always sickly. And I was like, I think there are more of these kids. And they're like, yeah, not for us. So I was like, okay. But then I was like, oh, it's such a weird idea to have this idea and come up with all these characters that you love and put it in a drawer somewhere. So then I was like, I've never written a kid's book before. And I was like, I think I'm going to just try it. Why not? So I was getting up like at 5.30 in the morning and writing 10 pages a day before work to get that novel done. And then I finished it. And yeah, that was a really gratifying experience. Like the way kids love the books they read really like strikes a chord in me because I was like that as a kid. So it was a really great experience. And having, you know, going on tour to schools and like meeting a bunch of kids who read it was really fun for me.
0: Go back to the writing 10 pages before work. Okay. So you were working on the shows on the show yeah, and then you would get up and just write a little bit and then shut down the computer and leave. And that was it. And you would just get it out of your head and you could just start just like that. Like, this
3: is my time. I'm going to just whip it out. Yes. Well, I think what it is with me in terms of prose, like TV writings, usually like in a room, especially com. I've only written, worked on comedy shows right now. And it's like a, group of comedy writers and a lot of it's done in the room so it's like a group experience but writing a book it's like your own chance your own imagination and you have so much freedom so I found it kind of like freeing basically that was also this great year when I had just gotten out of a relationship and I was like I'm going to take a year off of men and relationships and really focus on my career because it just wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be so I was like if I took that out of the equation and didn't have to like worry what I look like when I went to the grocery store, like if I wanted to meet someone or dating, I think I'd have so much extra free time, (laughs) (laughs) basically. And I will say, besides this last past year, that was the most productive year of my career because I really just, it freed up so much space in my life to like not, if you're like not thinking about like, relationships or this and that. And I just put it all into my work. It really, I did that. I wrote a, you know, a pilot. I wrote a lot of stuff while working on a show, but the show, I will say Disney channel show that shake it up. We had perfect hours. It was like 10 to six. So it wasn't like these crazy TV hours that I've had on other jobs.
0: But I thought—I was I was so sure you were going to say that then I met my husband when I swore
3: off men. No. That would, no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I met my husband, though, right when I was like—it had been a year, and everyone's like, you need to start dating. And I was like, oh, but dating—I'd never dated and been single in L.A., really. So it's very different from, you know, when I was, you know, in my 20s and dating in New York City. Because you would go to bars, and you would hang out at restaurants, of, like, within, like, your crowd, people. But here in L.A., it's so spread out. They're really— Bars seemed like more like twenty something, and everyone hung out in their houses. So I was like, I don't know how you meet people. So everyone's like, you have to online date, and I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. And finally, I started online dating. I think I did eleven dates in a month, wow. <laughs> and then and then I met my husband. Wow. On a book tour, yeah. So, but not not online dating. Not online no, yeah. dating. Yeah, because you said you meant. Yeah. That. Wow.
0: So it's like meant to be. Yeah. Meant to be for Came sure. Came at the right time. Yeah. You mentioned in also in this letter, which by the way, I think should be at the front of your book. Why is it in the <laughs> back? It's like the back. I thought it was so interesting, it, like informed my whole reading, but it was like after the fact. You said when you had left your original, your first
3: husband, right. your mom was not so happy about that. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. I'll tell you anything. Having been raised in a very traditional Korean household here in the United States, my parents were extremely strict. I hear that like almost parents, like, Korean parents who, like, immigrated to the United States were almost even more strict than, like, Korean parents were at the time in Korea, basically, because they were just so, you know, bent on, like, you know, you have to be a certain way and, like, you know, all the studying and the education, et cetera. So uh, my mom really was a traditional, like, at-home house, you know, mother and, like, housewife, and she really, I do honestly think, believes that, like, women are kind of to cater to men. Like, that's just how I was raised always. And so I was always told, like, you laugh too loud. You talk too much. Like, no man's going to want you or you have champagne taste. Like, in my 20s, my mom was like, no one's ever going to marry you. It was just, like, this, like, continual, like, struggle between us. So when I finally did marry, who was, he wasn't Korean, but he was a doctor. And she, like, loved him and thought he was, like, I think she was surprised that I managed to land him. So when, after five years of marriage, I wasn't happy anymore and I was really thinking about considering divorce and leaving him, She, we had one of our biggest fights ever. She was just like, and I was like, would you rather I'm unhappy and married, miserable, or would you rather I was happy and divorced? And she's like, I would rather you stay married. And I was like, all right, well, I don't think we have anything more to talk about. It's hard to go against that. Yeah. Right? It was very hard to go against it. Luckily, you know, I had a cell phone. I didn't tell her. I laughed and moved back to New York. I didn't tell her for six months. I just... No. (laughs) She didn't know. You have a cell phone. She can call. I mean, if she calls me, and I just was like, oh, he's busy or he's at work. I just didn't tell her. We weren't talking as often anymore because I was mad at her as well. That was, like, the biggest... That was a very big moment between me and my mom of, like, this is my life. This is, like, I have to, like, service, like, my own happiness. I'm not living... For you or what you want from me. I'm sorry. I didn't. You got the nice, you know, fancy Vera Wang wedding, you know, that you got to throw me. And so that was for you. But now it's my time. You need
0: to write about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's start with that book. Come on. Right. Exactly. Like, I want to read about that. That's perfect. I do. I did now what, by the way? And I know I mentioned this to you offline, but came for me at like the perfect time in my life when I was getting married. And so it was just like, so Perfect, like full circle. That now we're here and we're talking about our second marriages, and like it's just so funny. I know when I received
3: the questions and I saw that you had read my first book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like kismet. It's meant to be.
0: Yeah, so crazy. That I mean, I it's like I remember reading that book. But anyway, so cool. So part of Anna Kaye's whole thing is this posh lifestyle, and you include so many references (laughs) to. Brands and items, and you just set that scene so well. Like, everything is in the moment, this whole—you just so nailed it, basically. Thank you. So talk to me about that decision to make it—to use so many brands and timely references and, like, just root it so specifically in that time and place.
3: I think, I mean, in the original, it was very much a piece about, like, society and, like, your place in society. So, to me, I always wanted it to be, like, a soapy, fun read. So, I wanted it to have this aspirational, I love Gossip Girl, the show as well. And I just wanted to have that sort of quality of, like, ooh, the lives of these people and, like, the pressures that you face. In terms of the brands and the designers, I've been thinking about that, like why I was so specific. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, I wonder if some of it came from like, I was a huge fan of Jay McInerney and Easton Ellis, like their first books. And like they label drop a lot. But what's interesting in the very beginning of the book, I made a conscious effort to probably do it even more so because I feel like when you see these. Wealthy kids, you really look at, you know, when you first meet anyone, you look at the outside and their superficial materialistic appearance, like their shoes they're wearing and this and that. But I slow. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional
2: your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
3: As you go through the book, started to drop out the designer labels and stuff as you got to know the characters. Cause I wanted it to be like, oh, when you first meet them, you think they're rich and perfect and have these wonderful lives because they're rich. But it's really not the truth. Like until you get to know a person, then you can kind of drill down and realize that they have the same sort of teenage issues that every teenager faces. I mean, you know, under a different magnifying glass and with different pressures. So I really, it was important to me. I mean, I went to one year of boarding school at St. George's in Newport, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. So I was, got to see a lot of the, you know, teenagers that were probably in that wealth class of the, the characters of Anna Kay. I myself was not actually in that class, but it was interesting. And I, what I took away from that was like, oh, we're still talking about boys. We're still talking about the zits that we have. We're still talking about like, we have the same issues. So teenagers who were born into wealth, to me, that's just, they were born, it's not like that's everything who they are. They were born that that way, basically. And so I just found it like, you know, sometimes you wonder if the people give them a hard time just because, you know, there is, one of your questions was this idea of like, wealth today it's not that popular to be like rich but I was like yeah but for teenagers they get a free pass I feel like all teens get a free pass they were born into their circumstances so who they become and the choices they make as a teenager wealthy or not wealthy is going to define them for their lives so I definitely wanted it you know was commenting on that but not really about like the class system
0: so that when does the free pass expire?
3: <laughs> at what at what age,
0: like, do you not get the pass anymore?
3: I always tell, like, you know, my husband has a little sister who's, like, 29, and I'm like— Really, I feel like your 20s, when they're so, you know, so smart and driven and serious. And I was like, you know what? You're kind of, to me, your 20s are a chance to, like, screw up and do whatever you want to do. I made so many mistakes when I thought I was so worldly and knew everything in my 20s. And every decade, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know anything back then. So, you know, I feel like you get a free pass for a long time. Okay. <laughs> with are- love. Especially with love, I think you definitely. It's it's tricky. Love and relationships.
0: I feel, though, that— I mean, not to say you're not giving them a free pass, but I feel like there's a poking fun at this whole lifestyle in the book. You know what I mean? Like, you're not mean about it, but it's definitely like an— not exploitation, like a expose of right. like, a certain class of kids.
3: Yeah, I wanted to comment a little bit about it. And I mean, I really wanted, like there's a Dustin character who's Levin from mm-hmm. the original and he's really an outsider status where he is black, adopted, but raised by Jewish white parents. And he's probably the one who's the smartest in the moral center where mm-hmm. he, I, I gave him the freedom to comment on it. Because yeah. I feel like you need to be able to have a voice in the book to say, you know, it's crazy the way you live. But I feel like if you're, a teen and you were raised that way do you know it's crazy I mean because that's kind of the world that it can be very a sheltered existence like we're there at country clubs with other people who are of their same you know wealth level do they know it's that it's all about perspective I feel like when you're a teenager until you meet people from different backgrounds you don't necessarily know that your upbringing was that different do you? No, no.
0: I right, mean, exactly. kind of. right. I mean, You know what I mean? No, I, I mean, yes, you know, but I mean, I went to one of these schools. Right. I mean, I went to two of. Them. Right. Anyway, I mean, this is not so far. I mean, these were not. Well, I, did I, it you know seem realistic I'm not going to not gonna is, get into this. I don't, <laughs> no, but did it seem I'm going to leave myself you, you out of this. I think parts of it seem right, realistic, right. but these were not my people. Like, right. 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 You know, I wasn't in like a. That I, d- crowd I didn't run like this. with a fast crowd. I d- yeah, I was more. You know, but anyway. <laughs> Moving on, there was this part about Dustin though that he's just like, wow, look at how things work in the world. I didn't even know, right? Like when he's and he was resistant about even going into this class of people, yes. this whole situation. He was recruited to be a tutor for right. his friend as when he was younger. And then he gets to see, like goes to a party in the beginning and is like looking all around like, wow, maybe I should enjoy it cuz maybe I'm not going to get back here again. Right. So there is also that part of it. And I feel like there's something to this book where you're like, well, I have to keep, (laughs) right? Like, I might not get back in this again. Like, let me see
3: what happens in this. I think there's just like, when I, so I went to New York City at 18 for college at NYU. And I, when I, and I had grown up in Tennessee, like a small town, Tennessee. So New York City was like, the biggest change possible. So there, when you see like how grand everything is and then you realize like how much money there is in New York City, you can't help, especially like, you know, teenager through your 20s fantasizing and being like, oh, I wonder what, you know, there's a whole other part of the city that's going on around you that's, wealth and connections and fancy things. And you just always kind of fantasize that about it because I mean, I was broke through most of my twenties so, working in book publishing. And so you just kind of are so interested. So to me, it was like, I just really wanted to show this like soapy hidden world of like, you know, where to them, like, you know, getting your first designer thing. It's just like, that's just their lives. They woke, you know, their closet is filled with designer bags where for me, I was like, begging my mom through my entire 20s to, like, get my first Prada purse. I was like, please. My mom would be like, it's more than your rent. And I'm like, I know, but if you want me to find a husband. <laughs> that's
0: what FYI, I, I did not grow up with my closet right. full of designer purses. Oh, okay. Just saying that was not my experience right. in the slightest. But anyway, <laughs> that's so funny. So, what, so you're turning this into now a series with HBO Max. Tell me about how that's
3: going. We're still in the waiting process. TV development's so much a different, is a longer timeline, basically. I mean, it's funny because I feel like I just read deadline and you see like show after show after show and there's so many, but like behind the scenes, like the development process, because there's so many stages of it, it's taking a while. So I just don't have that much information about it yet. When I sold the book, I was lucky enough to have like a, my first Hollywood, like, bidding war Ooh. for the studio side and then on the network side we pitched it and there was like a lot of interest and it was really fun. So I but what was great is having been working in TV for like the last 10 years, I sort of like understood like the game at that point in time. So none of it went to my head, but I got sent bottle of vintage crystal and sprinkles cookies and I was like and I was like this is crazy, like, what's happening now. Like, I'm living this, like, sort of Hollywood fantasy. But at the same time, since I've been here, I didn't take it too seriously, and I just had fun with it. So you're saying during which during which stage were you getting the Cristal? This is once you had— One, When there was, like, a lot of different producers. I met with 14 different producers, and, like, I think there were 25 that wanted to meet. As soon as, like, the book got announced, it just was, like, a feeding frenzy. And so I spent three weeks meeting different production companies and talking to them about, like— you know, what their ideas were. And I could always tell, like, A, that in Hollywood, a lot of the assistants read the books, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for their bosses. Cause a lot of the assistants were always like, when they greeted me, they're like, oh my God, I love the book and this and that. And then they probably wrote coverage. But I could tell in the meeting which producers had read the book themselves based on the conversation. Huh. So it was a really, and I really took my time and was very careful with this process. Cause it's obviously, you know, this is the dream TV show for me to do because I get to, I'm an executive producer, I'm writing it. You know, I'm the creator of the show, so I really wanted to, like, make very sound, smart decisions. So how did you pick your final producer? You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I met with, like, when it was narrowed down to, like, the last group of four and they were connected with different studios, you know, that they were all sort of buying for it. I really was like looking for people. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to work with them. A TV show could last for how you know, knock on wood, like four or five years. You're, I'm like, I'm going to have to be with these people all the time. I need to like make sure I like them. I have a very strict no asshole policy. Nice. Um, that I don't work with, you know, people that I know are going to be jerks about something. So I was very careful about that. I tend to like strong females, you know, working with them as well. And one thing, one of my executive producers is James Shin at the Scooter Braun production company, and James is Korean. And I wasn't necessarily making that as a kind of choice, but it did really, I found that very helpful in our discussion because obviously Jenny Han, to all the boys I've loved, Mm I read this article about her when she was deciding who was going to get the movie, the producers. She picked the one producers who said that they would make sure that the girl stayed Korean or half Korean. And I was like, oh, I really respected that because she was already a New York Times bestseller, so she had her choice, basically. And for once, I had my choice. I've never—I've honestly never (laughs) been in this position before in Hollywood where I had— I was the one who had, like, the power and ability to choose. So it was important for me to make sure, like, I had— the right people. And I, I did like that James, you know, he talked to me a lot about like his own childhood and violin lessons and his own Korean upbringing. So I felt like that was like a good, you know, fit for me and the book.
0: So cool. Yeah. So in the meantime, while you have all this going on, right. what are you doing now? Are you working on a new show? Are you writing a new book? Are you thinking about an next book? Right. Are you thinking about
3: only saving your creative power for the adaptation. It's so funny. Like, I'm always, like, everyone always has that side hustle going. So for a long time, as when I came out here and I had been writing books but wasn't making enough of a living doing that, and then I was like, I need to concentrate on one thing. Because I'm like, I want to write a play. I want to write short stories. (laughs) I mean, like, I'm so, like, It's not flighty, but I so like, I'm so creative creative. and curious and want to try so many different things. I was like, I need to focus on TV, will be my day job, and then books will be on the side. But now, (laughs) now it's kind of flip flopping again. I have a couple TV projects like that are, you know, I'm really working to try to create and have my own show get greenlit so that I can run it. So I have like a kid's show at Netflix that's in contention. I have the Anna Kay project, which is obviously the dream project. I have a Korean soap opera with Margaret Cho. Ooh. That Adapting a Korean Soap, so that's super fun. That's a comedy. I am writing another book, and I am writing a sequel.
0: No way. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah.
3: That is so cool. And
0: when I was reading this book, I was like, wow, this could be, like, multiple books. Right. Like, it's so, there's so much going on in here. Right. Like, and so many characters. This is, like, this is amazing.
3: I know. I really wanted, first, I mean, this really was supposed to be a one-off. It was no intention to, like, can do a series. But then once the TV show sold, I was like, oh, the TV show, the, the first season would be the first book. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, if I could write the books per season. Perfect. And you would see it. So the second book takes place over the summer. So I was like, oh, because to me, I feel like as a teenager, your lives is your school year versus your summer. And I'm like, who doesn't want to see a bunch of rich kids and how they party in the summer? So is this the Ham- <laughs> Hamptons, Anna K. Hamptons version? Partially. Like, there's going to be some of the characters. So I'm going to have a character. Beatrice is mm-hmm. going to come to L.A. Okay. She's doing yep. an internship. So some will be in New York. But some are traveling abroad. So I really wanted to make it, you know. So cool. Very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Literally, as soon as after, I'm going to go home and write, continue writing when I get home. That's so cool. Yeah. I
0: love it. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors?
3: Let's see. I have always wanted to write, and I just really think that you have to... My best success have come from things that are like personal to me, Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes I'm like, oh, as a fiction writer, you're like, I have an imagination. Why can't I just create things that are totally fictionalized and just like make it up from my head? Like, I, you know, that's how I used to think. And then I was like, oh, but to have an emotional impact and weight, I was like, it really, my best success have always been things that I wrote about personally. Like my first book was about my first year of marriage and me kind of struggling with that and trying to figure it out. My second book was about how to tell if you're obsessed with your dog because I was currently obsessed with my dog. So I think that's where I get the most creative inspiration from. And it's just like that. So, you know, when you're thinking about like what you want to write, I think you try every genre and, you know, stage versus TV versus a book and just see where it takes you, really. And also you have to sometimes put your butt in the chair and just write because that's what I did with that kid's book I told you about where I was getting up early before work, I was like, I want to try. And I set these small goals. I'm like 10 pages. I didn't always hit 10 pages every morning, but that was my goal. I had a friend that I would email the 10 pages to, to keep me on track, even though she, I wasn't asking her to read it. It was just so I had it so that I could kind of, you know, keep myself accountable because it's hard. It's busy. (laughs) Life
0: is busy. (laughs) I'm so interested and you're seeing what you write today, right. After this, <laughs> yeah. I, I want you to send me like okay. a paragraph. All right, I I'm, will. I'm like totally fascinated. Yes, plus I, totally I want will. more of all of these people. Right? Like, Tell me more. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And sorry again for my oh appearance my today. And thank you. I cannot wait to see what happens. Thank everybody. you so much for having me. It's been a great. It's been
3: a fun talk. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks to Lauren Passel and her innovative PR company, Tink, for sponsoring today's episode. Please check them out at tinkmedia.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing, and thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.